Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. I am always looking for the good independent podcast out there. I wouldn't normally be listening to a science fiction podcast, but by golly, I found one because this dude is on a group with me, and I went ahead and listened, and I didn't hate it. It was actually really good, and because the word funny is in it, the funny science fiction podcast is something that I really like, and I've got Tim Besiegel here with me. Did I pronounce that right, Tim? Close enough. But bicycle. Yeah. Uh, bicycle. Okay. Bicycle. Yeah. Bicycle. Like you're saying, like you're saying, bicycle. Like you're saying, bicycle. Bicycle. I've got Tim and I've got Frank, who uh, just co-hosted an episode that I was on, and Frank is actually the host of a podcast called The Warp Shelf that I haven't checked out yet, but we'll talk about that a little bit. Tim, first of all, let's talk about funny science fiction. What is this podcast all about? Funny science fiction uh, show. It's an interview-based show where we bring actors, writers, directors, content creators on, and we talk about what they like in science fiction. Or, or if they're an actor or director, we talk about their roles, what they've been doing, all this kind of stuff. And we talk about what they like about sci-fi, what they don't like about sci-fi. We, Depending on the person, we get into uh, a little bit more of uh, the deeper nerdy theory stuff of, of sci-fi. But at the same time, we like to make jokes about it and have fun with it because yeah. sci-fi doesn't have to be stuffy and actually bob in that <laughs> particular episode it's all sci-fi should be fun because why did you start the podcast of course was is that i already had another podcast this is my second podcast mm. i have another podcast called focused on forward where one of my other co-hosts his name is josh i interviewed him on that podcast mm. and because his daughter when she was born very prematurely like a pound, 15 ounces, something oh like that. Tiny little thing. And so she had some health complications, a couple months in the NICU, all that stuff. And that was recommended to me by his dad, who I was part of his funny science fiction group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I was helping him out. I was an admin on his page. Still am an admin on his page. He's a science fiction author and writes some really cool sci-fi books. His name is Drayton Allen. And uh, he said, we should, we've got this group. And we get access to all these sci-fi people because of the group. We should do a podcast and have some fun with it. And I'm like, I got the microphone. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that's basically how it started. We, we started just figuring out a way to go about it, how we wanted to do it. Here we are. We've had some really cool guests on so far. And we've got some really cool guests coming up. Yeah. And I'm just really, I'm really happy to be part of it. If you're into fandoms, I always say funny science fiction podcast is a great listen because it doesn't hold itself. 
to yeah. one fandom. Of course, it's very, very sci-fi heavy, but they've also talked about video games and talked about Overwatch and, and many other, in cosplay and many other mediums mm. of nerddom. Through that, you may discover something you didn't know, and you may get into a whole new universe, which is... That's always fun. It's always fun to find something new that you love. And I just like your approach. You don't come at it super serious. You have some fun with. I like the quiz at the end, especially since I got four out of five. It was really nice and an easy podcast. And it's an independent podcast. And I'm always waving the flag for independent podcasts because what Mark Marin and Conan O'Brien and Dax Shepard, they got enough people listening to them. You don't need to listen. Let's, let's listen to the people that actually put the work in and are passionate yeah. about what they do and just didn't put up a podcast for the heck of it. I, they were bored I, in 2020. Yeah. yeah. And we all know <laughs> as people who do podcasts, we know the work that goes behind it because mm. we're doing most of it ourselves and right. we don't have a producer. We don't have people that are doing all the editing for us we're doing it as a team and it's a lot of work absolutely you absolutely have to become a renaissance man almost immediately yeah be like oh yes i gotta figure out audio editing real quick (laughs) yeah and the other i have a nick for that so yeah Yeah. that's that's helpful that's helpful yeah well on this podcast i'm I'm focused on forward i am i am the one the only i do everything over there Mm. There but over here i i couldn't do anything that i do over here without nick so yeah he's my right hand and i have to say after doing a podcast for a while that making new friends is also a cool thing and yeah so tim you and frank was a guest on the podcast and he just co-hosted today so you guys have obviously struck up a friendship and have some similar ideas Mm -hmm. there's nothing better than that yeah it's pretty cool that's the one good thing about the internet is that you can find kindred spirits and actually make a friendship for with somebody that isn't necessarily in your area code yeah absolutely All you have to do is say something about not liking The Last Jedi or liking The Last Jedi, and you got a friend or a deathly enemy. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Speaking of The Last Jedi, it's because of Frank that I've actually gone back and rewatched The Last Jedi, and I don't hate it as much anymore. See? 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 I got some insights. I got some things. I got got some good advice. I can do the stuff. I got the things. (laughs) One of the things I wanted to ask about is I I haven't checked out Frank's podcast, The Warp Shelf. Can you tell me what that's all about? Yeah. So The Warp Shelf, we cover anything that can go on a shelf. It's me and my buddy, Deshaun Vasquez. We've... We did a podcast in college, and now we're doing one years later, and and it's more of a review podcast. Like, we will choose a topic and try to review it like we did Wonder Woman and Soul with this past, with that, their releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also do stuff like Filthy Casual, which is exactly like every other podcast that you listen to, where we just mm-hmm. talk about what's going on and what we're watching and stuff like that. It's about two things talking about things we love and encouraging people to see these great things because there's so much negativity and so much, for lack of a better word, shitting on things all over the internet. Like people will constantly just like, that's hate drives clicks. Like, Mm. and Mm -hmm. and, and I get that. I understand that's what drives clicks, but it's tiring. So it's nice to listen to a podcast or, or or tell people through your podcast about nice things, about things that are great. And that actually you would walk away from being like, that was a good time. Instead of being like, Oh man, I'm glad I saw that. So I could tell everyone I hated it. Yeah. Like, (laughs) And one of the great things about a long form 
podcast is I'm an older gentleman and you think back to the old Dick Cavett show that was an interview where he would talk for an hour or an hour and a half to one person and you really learned a lot so I get all these pop culture references as a 56 year old on TV and stuff like that and they fly by so quick it I don't get it and when you listen to a show like yours tim the funny science fiction podcast and i'm sure yours frank the warp shelf podcast you find out what the pop culture is all about you find out why people like it you find out why it's a thing because i'm at a point in my life where on saturday night live i don't know anybody there anymore and when they have a musical guest i've never heard of them the stuff that you guys are doing it's really good and that's why people my age need to listen to these long-form podcasts because first of all we we're used to longer interviews so when you listen to that kind of stuff, you actually get engrossed. I really appreciate that and the fact that you guys reach out to different people. Let's just put this out there, Tim. Who, who's been the guest that really, uh, I won't say favorite, who's been a guest that really surprised you on uh, Funny Science Fiction? There's two. And one of them is co-hosting with me today. Mm. So honestly, I'm not saying that's just because he's here. You can ask Nick, you can ask Drayton, any other guys. Frank's interview was one of my favorites, absolute <laughs> favorites that we did because we had so much fun and it was just talking about stuff. It, it, when we talked about what I didn't like about Star Wars, Last Jedi, one of the things I appreciated is that Frank didn't turn around and, and instantly become this jerk that was like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe you don't like that movie uh, because he really liked it. Yeah. But he explained to me why he liked that movie and maybe here's a, a, a viewpoint. Oh, that maybe you can go back and watch that movie from. And he was yeah. dead nuts on. When I watched it from that, I went, oh, yeah, I see it now. Okay. One of my other favorites was also one of our, our recent ones. Her name is Shannon Perry. Shannon Perry runs a podcast called the Oz 9 Podcast. It's a sci-fi episodical podcast. It's, okay. uh, so it's like Star Trek, but with goofy characters and floating through space. Uh-huh. Yeah, I told Shannon in, the, in, our, in her interview with us, that we were moments away from be- from becoming BFFs because yeah. she was just so cool. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple moments into our interview, she's quoting Monty Python to me, and I'm like, I love you. <laughs> You're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so she was a great guest. She's And Frank, too. They're, they're, I like the people who can be quick on their feet. You can ask them a question. We've had some really cool people that way who, who are able to have a, a side question thrown at them because most of my questions, I, I have it all scripted out. Here's what I want to say, how I want to say it. So that way it's not me forgetting that, oh yeah, this guy was working on this or that. But I still go off, off my back end here a little bit and asking questions. And there's a lot of times, and especially if you go back and you watch Frank's interview, there's a couple of times where I'm like, what about this? Because something will <laughs> pop in my head. And, uh, and I like it when people can take that and, and just, they can pivot and, and go to it. Asked, and it's a nice asked and answer type of thing. Mm. Uh, and they can move along without them going, I didn't know we were going to uh, talk about this. Oh. Yeah. And it's so easy because for me, if you woke me up at four in the morning and were like, I have a Star Wars opinion, I'd be like, <laughs> okay, what is it? And then <laughs> and have a whole conversation with you at one, like in the middle of the night about Star Wars things. So I I extremely appreciate like the, the quick on your feet, always thinking about sci-fi. And I, and I really did enjoy being on funny science fiction podcast because they, it just kept going. It kept being like, yeah, shit, what, but what else? But deeper, what about this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> funny science fiction takes a different view of science fiction without getting into getting mucked up in all the details. 
and the warp shelf i'm sure brings a lot of different experiences and a lot of different viewpoints on on stuff totally appreciate people who put in that effort and i'm glad i met you guys yeah thank you and two, just before, before I don't know if you're getting ready to conclude up here, but just in case, I want to make sure this gets said. If you like deep dives into stuff, the Warp Shelf is the perfect deep dive podcast. Mm. They, they've done some really cool episodes over there. And I, if you like deep dives into sci-fi and sci-fi theory and just basic cool geek nerddom stuff, Check out that. Check out, check out his website, too, thegalaxyofgeek.com. Mm. I lost hours of my life <laughs> on that website that's great yeah. i gotta say I, I appreciate what you guys are doing and i'm gonna check out the warp shelf for sure yeah. Be, before we uh get done here tim how can we find some funny science fiction so my preferred way is i ask that you go check us out on youtube okay yeah we have, this is a funny science fiction podcast is a video podcast we do put it out in audio format on every podcast destination including iheart and amazon and pandora all the ones you got to sell a piece of your soul to get onto um but we prefer if you would go to check us out and subscribe to us on on youtube check out our videos there okay great i'm the chubby guy in the glasses and the backwards baseball cap (laughs) frank how about the uh warp shelf yeah, you can check out galaxygeek.com, like he, like Tim was saying, where we have all these articles from a bunch of different writers that we all work together on. But that's also where my podcast lives. The Warp Shelf can be found on every podcast platform mm-hmm. and YouTube. Uh, we do a video version. And and basically, yeah, Galaxy Geeks, where it's all lives, or search it the way you like. Yep, great. It's been really nice meeting you guys. It's been great talking to you, Tim, Thanks. Frank. Make, make sure, you. folks, make sure you check, check out the Funny Science Fiction Podcast and the Warp Shelf because they're good. Okay? Thanks. Bye. I've got a gentleman who shared the spotlight as an opener for Joel McHale, Nikki Glazer, Burt Kreischer, Joey Diaz, Russell Peters, and Dave Chappelle. Holy cow. He is a frequent guest on the nationally syndicated Bob and Tom show. I can't wait to talk about that. His debut album, Dumber Than a Fish, is is available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, and all the different places. Several tracks from that album can be heard on Raw Dog Comedy. Laugh USA and Comedy Roundup on Sirius XM, which is very cool. Without further ado, let's bring up my guest, Gabe Kia. Hey, Gabe. Hello. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really neat to pay attention to Facebook and have people's albums come out and uh, actually listen to them and find some great people that I didn't know about. So I found yours. I've listened to your album through a few times and really loved it. So Dumber Than a Fish is available everywhere. Make sure that if you listen on Spotify that you actually buy it too, because that's the difference of Gabe making 10 cents a year and a, a portion of 10 bucks. That's I always try to make sure that I tell people to do that because it, it's just people think Spotify is paying you and they're really not. So, <laughs> yeah, I I hear you on that. I I'm all for yeah whatever. I just want you to hear the album, obviously, but obviously purchasing it helps me yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. When did you first start doing stand up? I started doing stand up around 2003. So a long time ago, and that was probably just started doing open mics at that time, probably started actually getting booked and working 
four or five years later, maybe 2009, started working working on the road a little bit more and working as a stand-up comedian. But uh, yeah, I've been doing been doing stand-up a long time. Yeah. Started in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, moved to Cincinnati probably in that 2009, 2010 time period. Uh-huh. Been here about 10 years. Cool. So what was that first open, Mike? It was all my friends. Uh, I knew everybody in the audience. I'd I'd honestly come and watch a few a bunch of shows, a bunch of open mics, and I realized when someone was brand new and they brought everybody or everybody came to see them, they were like really taken aback by that uh-huh. because it's it's nerve wracking to get up on stage at all. Let alone when you realize, oh my gosh, everybody here knows me. <laughs> and, uh, so I was. Uh, Nervous about that, but I, I did well. I think I did well, obviously, because I knew a lot of my friends in the crowd and stuff. Your first few times are often like that, and then you hit that that third or fourth time where you're in a bar somewhere, and you're like, "No, oh boy, this is what stand-ups really yeah. about." <laughs> it's yeah, funny so. because you get I, – I talk – I think you're probably my 55th interview, and it's a mixture of how those open mics start. Some people actually go into it intentionally. They've watched a few they They do their homework and know that a joke should be this long, or there should actually be a punchline and not just meandering around. And some people just go up because a friend pushed them up. Other people wait for years before they actually go up, but they've always wanted to. So it's a good mixture. And I know that it's good to have all your friends there on that first one, but it is also nerve wracking in another way rather than not having anybody out there that doesn't know you because your friends, if you eat dirt, then they're going to let you know it for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And that's, that can be a, it can be a tough one the first time because obviously you just don't, you have no clue about what works, what doesn't work when you get up there. Yeah. When I told you the time period, it was a lot different scene, too. I just said, like, my third open mic was at a bar. I don't think my third open mic was at a bar. I think back in that time period, late early 2000s, the only open mic was at the club, and it was once a week. So it was, like, Tuesday, and you'd go, and you'd hope to get on the list, and there's only, like, 15 to 20 people to get on the list. Some nights you make it, some nights you wouldn't. So you perform sometimes twice a month or it's kind of what's going on now. Fewer and far between on the on the open mics. So right, no doubt. Uh, a lot, a lot of different, very different time. Have you done any of the virtual stuff? I have. Yeah, I've done done some Zoom shows, mm-hmm. and at first I was doing quite a bit of them, and then I, I, yeah, and I've still done some. If I get asked to do something, I'm I'm all for it. But been doing a, a lot of podcasts. Podcasts yeah. are big right now. <laughs> Podcasts are the new open mics. I'm yeah, like, they sure are. Of stuff I got to try out. Too, yeah. so uh, <laughs> I got my stuff ready. If you want some jokes, oh great! That that might be cool. We could maybe workshop a couple of them. Yeah, let's do it. So, who were your influences? Influences starting out, I had obvious comedians that I and comedic actors and stuff like that that I like, like typical like. Jim Carrey and a lot of Canadian guys. I really like Norm Macdonald when I was oh, yeah. uh, like, I like Conan a lot. I, I watched a lot of Conan and I liked how he, he was loose and riffy and would go off on tangents and just mm. be silly. And I really like that. But once I started going, once I started doing stand up comedy and that, that going to the open mics and stuff, I, I would more just watch people 
at the shows and starting out in St. Louis, Missouri, I watched a lot of Greg Warren and Dan Chopin and Brett Clawson, Mike McRae, some of these guys that were, are, and Andy Smith, people that are, had been doing it longer than me that I, men and women that were doing, that all had a unique style mm-hmm. of, of what they did. And I really did enjoy, and I still enjoy watching live stand-up comedy much more than like a special or something on TV or something like that. So once I, my influence has changed to like basically who was in my proximity and who was performing a lot. And then those are the people that talked to me too and told me how to do stand up comedy, how they did it, how they learned to do it, mm-hmm. different aspects of that. So all those people that I named there were around the, in the St. Louis area when I was starting out. And they were also more established comedian. There's people that were, coming up at the same time as me or like people that have went on to have excellent careers that I, I learned a lot from mm-hmm. Tommy John again, Nikki Glazer. Those people are from St. Louis yeah. area as well. Andy yeah. Woodhall. Yeah. Tommy John He's great. He's one of, one of my big ones. I like him a lot. Yeah. He's one of, he's one of my all time favorites. I remember the first time I saw him on stage, I was like, Whoa, this <laughs> he's different. Yeah. He's like, got he a is. style. <laughs> So this changes the pace a little bit. This is something I like to know because I, I'm i a voracious reader and listener of podcasts and music and stuff like that. Are, have you listened lately to any books, podcasts, music, read an article, anything? Have you had anything that just turned on a light bulb for you and gave you some new stuff to think about, new stuff that maybe may change your act a little bit or anything like that? I've read I read Sam Talent's book. I'm actually I haven't totally finished it, so I shouldn't. I'm in the middle of reading Sam Talent's book. Mm-hmm. I really, really like that. That's a real. If you've ever worked the road or done some road gigs, that's a very accurate depiction of, of working stand-up comedy on the road. Yeah, I, I was given by a neighbor. I was given the book that it's like the story of me, and it's by the person that wrote the comedy Bible. The same person that did that. Okay. And I usually don't, like, I don't, when I started, I didn't read a lot of stand-up comedy books and how to, and even getting that from a neighbor was like, thanks a lot, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the book on how to become a stand-up comedian. I'm like, I already am. I don't need a book. Yeah. (laughs) But out of, I was like, let me check this out. And I read a little bit about it. And and I really liked what the, the person was saying. And I, I, I found parts that I already do, and it's not like my perceived notion of him giving me the book. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do a lot of this stuff. This is what this is. This is how I write, and this is uh-huh. what I write about. And I like writing autobiographical as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a really good book that someone that a neighbor gave me that kind of offended me. Um, <laughs> and, but and I really like the podcast middle of somewhere with Cy Amundsen and Chad Daniels. Oh, and I've been okay. I haven't heard totally, of that one. Oh, it's really good. And I've been listening to that. Just like I, I was driving recently and I would just listen to four episodes in the, in a row. Uh-huh. And both those guys are from Minnesota. One lives in Minneapolis. One lives up North in Fergus falls. And they have a really great podcast. Very funny. Both very hilarious guys, but also like fast pace. And uh-huh. you'll listen to three episodes and be like, what? Oh, that was three hours? How'd that happen? Wow. Yeah, really like that podcast. I really wish I had more time in the day to listen to all the podcasts I want to because 
you you just gave me that one, and I've got 15 on my list that I still want to listen to. So it's hard, and I'm not driving as much as I was, so don't get to plug that in as much. Yeah, exactly. You know? And uh, and my wife, when we're listening to podcasts, when we're driving together, she just likes murder, serial murder stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and those are okay. It's a change of pace. She's, you're like, some of these people kill. Yeah. Really, they're killers. <laughs> yeah, for <Twitter>. sure. <laughs> Last question for the rapid round. What comedy album or special would you consider to be your all-time favorite? And you can go top three if you want. Ooh, comedy album or special to be my all-time favorite. How many people say their own as number one? Probably a lot. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I really, I don't have a lot of favorites, but there are some, there's an album that Jimmy Pardo recorded at Go Bananas Comedy Club where he's riffing the whole time. I really like that one. I can't even think of the name of it, but that's super funny. Mm -hmm. And then I could say, yeah, any of Tommy Jonigan's stand-up one, two, or three, those are all excellent. And anything Andy Woodhall has out, I always like his, he's one of my favorite comics as well, Mm -hmm. so... There you go. Very cool. Very cool. Now, as far as I want to do this live just because I know how hard it is for comedians to do anything right now. And you recorded this album, Dumber Than a Fish, last year, but you put it out this year. What's it like putting an album out during a pandemic? Was it all the working parts you have to do pretty much remotely. How was it just business-wise putting it out? That, that, that is a difficult part. I was very fortunate to have recorded at a club in January. So oh, okay. a few months before the, the clubs had shut down. Mm-hmm. And I have friends I have friends that like had their album artwork made. They had the week set out. And then it was like in March or April that they were supposed to record their album. Mm-hmm. I I can't imagine if I was if that was the scenario with me, I would be uh, be hard to deal with. But there's so many aspects of doing an album and putting an album together. All from first off is booking the right situation. Like sometimes some people like to do a one night. Mm. Tell everybody I'm recording an album. It's this Wednesday night at this comedy club and pack the room out and have one shot and then that's it. That's the album. You're not you can edit it together, but there's no. And then the other aspect would be like the week of comedy where you like record every, every night. And then what I did is I did that and I searched for the base good show that was like, this is the one I want to work with. And then I can take some, cut some pieces out, put some pieces in from the other shows, mm-hmm. which isn't as easy as, as it would sound, but that's what I also had to do remotely. At first we were, I was meeting with this, uh, a local comic, Clinton Jacob, doing an excellent, he does an excellent job of sound engineer and uh, editing. And he was putting together the stuff. We we met probably four or five times, had three or four hour sessions of just listening to me over and over again. Very, very painful for both of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't, I really don't like listening to myself, especially with someone there yeah. that you're like, oh, yeah. that's uh, oh, great. You get to hear that. Too. I'm very I mean, much the same. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody can hear all of it. I think we went through the Sunday show and I was just like, hey, can we just stop? Let's just stop. We don't need to listen to the second half of this. You could just tell that the laughter was like so much different than all the other. So it was like this would totally stick out if we added it onto the album. Yeah. 
So that's a difficult part. That does take some time and, uh, and it does take some coordination, communication, all that's important to have with, if you're doing it through a record label or if you're self-producing or however you're doing it, you want to have everybody on the same page. You want to pay everybody well ahead of time, not pay them like once the album comes out, I'll pay you. I was like trying to make sure everybody's taken care of as they're doing it. Artwork. They're not waiting on any money from the guy that should be paying. I'll pay him. And then if, if he, when he pays you, you can get me back or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I had a local comedian, Chris Weir. He did the artwork for the, the cover there that he basically came up with the concept just from me telling him this is what the title is going to be. And uh-huh. the title is the tag of my last or my opening joke. Right. The, the first, the last line of my first joke is what the album is uh, named after. And Clinton helped me come up with that name too. I was, I had a few different ideas of what to do, and mm. but I, I like it. It's unique. It's uh, it draws you in too. Dumber than a fish. What's that mean? Yeah. So I, I like that aspect of it. Also, uh, funny, and I'm talking about how comedy's done as a community. The line "dumber than a fish." It used to be. I think I would talk about like the state over the state and how they all think they're stupid. And you get down to Mississippi, yeah. and they're like, "Fish, they're stupid," <laughs> and. I think I had something like the Gulf of Mexico. That's the dumbest state. Before that, I had a different line that I was doing in the joke, and a very one of my one of the comedians I looked up to starting out, Robert Hawkins, told me the Why don't you just say fish? And he's just fish. Uh-huh. Just say the word, and it worked beautifully. And it was like, oh, you changed my whole joke, Robert. Thank yep. you. <laughs> And I didn't even think about that until the album's made, it's out, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, even the title is given to me. Am I just like a total hack? Yeah. Like, oh, take anything you got, people. Come on. Yeah, you can take yeah. all the help you can get. But yeah, that that opener is just fantastic, and I think Dumber Than a Fish really fits the tone of the album anyway, so it's really good. Thanks, good. Yeah, that opener is also... Obviously, changes depending on where you are. Mm-hmm. And where, if I'm in Indiana, I can still, Kentucky's still relatable there. But yeah. sometimes if you're in Oklahoma, you'll be like, how do you feel about Texas? And yeah. they're like, yeah, we know that. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it seems to work pretty much anywhere. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, it's an observation of observational comedy. Right. You know, that's usually yeah. what people go in and they make fun of Kentucky. That's just that's what they do when they go to Ohio. Yeah, no doubt. I really enjoyed your album, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast. I really enjoyed the fact, okay, there's a lot of angry comics out there now, and there's a lot of low-energy comics out there now, and which I like both of them. I'm not saying that they're, that's not that's a bad thing, but you come like right in the middle as far as energy it feels like a conversation like you're in a room with your friends and you're just talking about stuff and that's one of the things i really enjoyed about it because sometimes you don't want somebody yelling at you and sometimes you 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 don't want to be with somebody who thinks they're smarter than everybody in the room and shows it in their punchlines and their comedy and stuff like that so i felt this is just somebody who's in the room i'm very comfortable listening to him you're not you're not screaming at me you're not uh trying to challenge me and say i'm stupid or anything like that so that i really that's what i really enjoyed about it that's good that's a very nice way to to put where i'm what i'm where i'm at yeah because you're right i do have like a high energy 
but it's not a angry or forced energy. And I, it's a like my my on my toes when I'm on stage. I like to bounce around a uh-huh. little bit. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, like that sort of energy. So I'm definitely like not low energy, but I also am. I think it's indicative of where I work too. I work a lot of different type of venues. So mm. I do like a college that's all twenty year olds that don't know what nepotism means because uh-huh. they've never experienced yeah. it. <laughs> I can do like an older VFW hall that's all 65-year-old Q-tips. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they're, they're, those people could be easily offended if my humor is all just about pop culture or youth yeah. or whatever's going on now. It's a mix of all that stuff. So then I also don't have to – and that's what I built in my act basically is – it's my, my 30 to 45 minutes that I can take around and do anywhere. Mm. And then I add other stuff in there and slip. Obviously, the album's got a lot. There's a portion of the album that's a lot of the newer stuff that I've been working on in the last six to eight months. Mm. And then the other portion is jokes that I've been doing because it's my first album. It's like, that's 10 years old. That joke has been. Yeah. <laughs> A joke can almost drive. That's yeah. yeah that's, that's, you need the anchors to to make that flow. Yeah, I can understand that. So let's think about where you are now and the style that you're doing now. Is that something that evolved, or were you a totally different type of comic when you started? I would say I was a totally different type of comic. I I think when you asked me my influences in the rapid part, I was thinking the first thing that came to mind was Dane Cook and uh-huh, yeah. But I did Dane Cook at the time. I probably got told, I got a lot of, you remind me of Dane Cooks. Mm. But that hasn't happened in 10 years. Not because I don't, I still sound just like Dane Cook, but no one, no, no one listens to Dane Cook. No, I'm right. just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I used to, I think that was, and it also might be like a physical, like a similar looking guy. Maybe I didn't have a beard back then also, too. Maybe that's why I grew a beard. I'm yeah. like, hey, he doesn't have this, yeah. right? <laughs> he might now. You never know. Yeah, he probably does. He probably <laughs> beard and flannel. Yeah. As <laughs> far as a progression of where you were more, I guess, if you're being compared to Dane Cook, you were a little bit more wacky, a little bit more outlandish and, and all that kind of stuff. Where did you finally say okay i'm gonna be this guy and you became the guy that i just heard listening to your album i wouldn't say there was any point where that i like like how you just described became that person i think it's just like i was saying over time and from the places that i've worked that it makes you that type of comedian but uh but i think i think there is a path if you so if you want if you read my facebook or my twitter you'd be like this guy talks about politics all the time because mm-hmm. it's like very and especially in the last four years things have gotten more political and i it's funny when you look at your memories and you're like i'm like oh gosh was i really <laughs> just like yeah. i get a memory from what was it right after Trump got elected and it was just like every day was political politics and i'm like man i gotta get away from that but it's so easy because it's just what the news cycle gives you. If that's what you're getting, then that's what you're going to talk about. And that's what you're going to get. You're going to get feedback or reactions from maybe. But so I, I like to have my political viewpoint in my comedy somewhat. But but like you said, I don't want to I'm not trying to bash it over your head. I'm not trying to make you feel like I've got the answer and you 
So I just try right. and do it in, in a very coming from your perspective, but this is my perspective sort of way. Right. And that might come from me growing up in a very conservative Republican um, household, being that type of political. When in the early 2000s, I was very Republican. I worked on Republican campaigns. I was like very politically driven in that sense. And then I just had had, an, had a shift and a change. And it was around the time they started doing stand-up. I don't think it had anything to do with stand-up per se. It was mm-hmm. more more just where I was in my life. And I was probably at that point when I was still hanging out with a lot of people from high school, a smaller group that yeah. were people like me demographically. And then as I not just started doing stand-up, but also had some different jobs in the real world, you're interacting with a lot more diverse people from diverse backgrounds, and you get, get a chance to see yourself in a different light, just like as you would if you traveled to Asia, Europe, anywhere, anywhere else. And I'm my parents are both Canadian. I grew up here in the States. I went to school here, but I had a lot of Canadian influence, too, by going back and forth. Mm-hmm. my whole life and I still have my sister lives up in Canada and then I have two sisters that live in the US so those are my COVID sisters and uh-huh. my sister in Canada she's the one that didn't get COVID so we, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty simple on how yeah how to, how to break it down one of the things that you said there really got me because it's funny because I'm like you, it took me longer. I was a pretty conservative Republican dude for a long time too. And I watch my kids and they're both grown now and they expanded their cultural horizons as they were growing up. And my son actually was pretty conservative too before he got out of the house. And they're both, one of them's on by D, up by D.C. and the other one's down in Alabama, but in Huntsville. And it's funny how they've changed, and I've changed by watching how they change. And, and, I totally feel that. Yeah, and it's cool to, to be open to that because there are people who could be bombarded with different viewpoints and different cultures and stuff like that, and they still have that wall up, and they're going to be who they are no matter what. They're never going to change. And uh, yeah. it's it's great to hear about somebody who kind of changed, took evolved and actually listened to stuff because there is a point where some people just don't do it anymore, and uh, it's good that you did. Yeah. Yeah, and I, didn't, I really didn't think about that too much until recently, when I was just explaining to somebody that like what, how I used to, and they were like, Oh, that you've got a really good perspective. Then you've, you've seen both sides. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I am both sides. There's way more than two sides to anything, especially politics. Right. But uh, I think I worked on a lot of damage. So I, I shifted more. I, I would classify myself as more of a liberal. I'm not a, a Democrat. I don't, I don't, I'm not really affiliated with a political party yeah. until there is, in Ohio, the only time you have to be affiliated is when you ask for a ballot on a primary. So mm-hmm. that's the only time you're a Republican or a Democrat, and you have to ask for that specific ballot. Otherwise, I think that is it's obviously like people want to put you in a – just if you're a comedian, you're doing crowd work. You want to put a person in a box. Where yeah. are you coming from? One way or the other. Easier <laughs> to deal with that. And and I think of it as, as there's a lot more – and, I, and what I was trying to say, too, is I worked on a, a bunch of Democrat, Democratic candidates 
political campaigns after I did the other side. And now, and then after that, I was like, like telling people that are like, Hey, we're, we're getting names for this year's democratic uh, vote, voter turnout thing. And I'd be like, yeah, lose my number. I don't want any part of it. You know? uh-huh. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm mad at them now. I'm like, you really ruined it this last year. Like, <laughs> but I think that's American politics is no one can get it. And it, the easiest thing or the, the hackiest thing as a comedian is I hate both sides. But I don't want to hear that either. Yeah. So like, On the other hand, most reasonable people would just like somebody who is fit for the job to be in there. And it doesn't even matter what political party. So just don't let the country fall apart, please. That's all we need right now. (laughs) Yeah, people are like, 2020, whoa. And I'm like, let's not forget how we got here. Yeah. (laughs) This wasn't some weird accident. Yeah. (laughs) Now, you talked about in the album about growing up in a – like you said, a very conservative Christian household. How did that affect you getting into the comedy world? Because, you know, I know people can be a little bit shielded from the world when they're in a, in a very conservative household like that. And the comedy world's totally different in the, you can see a lot of different types of people at an open mic. And how was there a shock factor for you when you did that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I just, I went to a private Christian high school too. So I was sheltered in general in that way. But I just, I, the best way I could say is I never wanted my mom to come to an open mic because it would, it just would be like, that's what she, if, when I was in high school, she'd be like, you're not allowed to hang around these kids. Yeah. Like she would just hear <laughs> what they have to say and be like, oh, you can't go to these things anymore. This yeah. Is bad. And so I always shielded her. I was over. I was like, no, you can't come to watch me or any of it. And then I think I waited till 10 years in and I finally got like opportunity to headline a show. At, at, and, and just like I thought, there are a few people on the show and that's all my mom talked about. After. I can't believe that woman said that thing. And I was like, yeah. oh, um, I knew you would be like this. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's very, and I think that in another aspect that has helped me is I'm usually just cleaner in general. Mm-hmm. Like my, my comedy is pretty clean. And honestly, when I was working with, with Clinton, the guy that helped me edit the album, he was always encouraging me to put more, he's leave that in. That's good. That makes it good. Uh-huh. Cause you can tell it's not, it's me out of my element and being a little looser right. when I am dirty. Because I'm not definitely not like a dirty comedian or by any means, but I can be. I can I can use whatever, can use the, a good f bomb to to get them back on my side if I need to or something like that. But but I was trying. My mindset was I don't want this. I want to take the dirtiness out so yeah. I can get it on serious. And yeah. That's what I was concerned about. I'm like I want to sell out over here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> want me to be like good no it's more true as an artist or yeah whatever. money like that's what it's so much better to be on three channels on sirius than just one yes because yes. so many are just on raw dog or they're on the the clean one whatever the clean one is so it's funny it's better because obviously it's more exposure more plays and all that. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a plus in your type of comedy. And I didn't count how many times you swore or you went into explicit subject matter, but it was probably 
maybe three minutes of the whole thing. Even if that. Yeah, and there's the one that my daughter's sparkle. My her mom had a sparkle on her face. That's a joke that I can't do if it's if I can't like if they're like oh you can't say no f bombs yeah like that joke's not gonna work. There's no clean version of that joke. (laughs) But Uh, yeah, everything's well placed and it's not like a whole. It's just not a whole uh, barrage of fuck yous all over the place, and that's it's refreshing. But also, I've because I'm clean, pretty much. I'm a lot like you, pretty clean. And Mm -hmm. as a new comic, it's hard to be like that without thinking that you're the odd guy out because you have three comics go on before you that have dick jokes and all that, and that's all they do, or real serious drug humor or something like that, and then you come up and you think that the audience isn't going to respond. And sometimes it's harder like that, but one of the things I've found, and I tell comics that want to be clean, is that it doesn't matter what you say, you just got to be funny. The audience has no expectations until you start talking. And that's hard for some comics because some comics actually that were giving me notes and giving me advice said, you got to say fuck more. And I'm like, no, cuss like a sailor in real life. But that I just, I don't have the look and I don't have the, the demeanor of somebody who cusses and did a lot of drugs when he was young. Oh, it's totally out of place. Yeah. Be more like me. Yeah. (laughs) I think someone said that about any comic that gives you advice is, is any comic is just telling you how they do comedy. So it's good to know that. And it's good to also remember that it's good to be true to yourself or to do what, do what from growing up. I I think that's one of the things I'm really thankful of the way I was brought up and now how, how my comedies turned out is I'm glad that I have that, that I have that cleanness or perceived cleanness, at least slight right. cleanness. That's the funny part is like when I did see my album come up and it showed all the explicit tracks and I was like that many, but yeah. it's all usually just like a line in each. Right. Yeah. It's one thing maybe, but it is, it's chal- It's gotta be, ch- I see what I'm scared of is my daughter growing up. If she's like, totally desensitized because i'm just like ah oh, tell her whatever and then i'm like how's this gonna end up she's, she's gonna be like yeah you gotta say fuck more in your comedy yeah. like, <laughs> you know you want to say it just say it <laughs> yeah i think it's probably an advantage to be brought up in a very conservative household because a lot of comics who weren't don't understand how to talk to somebody who's conservative or gear their comedy towards it. And mm-hmm. they they get this idea in, in their head that a conservative Christian is this cookie-cutter person who's got a pretty low IQ and never reads a book and all this kind of stuff, and that's just not true. They're smart, and they can handle some edgy stuff. There's just certain lines that they don't want to hear. And that's got to be an advantage for you. Yeah, I'm thinking back to like when I was watching comedy when I was a kid and when my mom would change the channel, she'd be like, that's enough of that. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, so that's the line. Right. right (laughs) That's where she loses her crap. Yeah. 
one of the say. one of the things that I really liked about your album, and this is another thing where comedy advice comes in, that you are able to mix the personal stuff along with observational stuff, and it just flows in between that. And the funny thing is, most comics that give you advice will say either be a personal comic or be an observational comic. Pick one, and yeah. you're able to navigate that without without looking there's a hard stop to your joke and and then a new joke coming up that's good Do, did you are you aware of that and try to make it so that your personality and your personal experiences are like congruent with the observational stuff that you do I think that would probably be something that would be more subconscious or when I'm preparing my sets, the way I group things together. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for, when I write my set lists out, I usually group two or three jokes together and then two or three jokes like that. And they can flip and I might have little notes later, like, oh, mm-hmm. I did this a lot later. And I like to put stuff together that just flows nicely to the next joke so that you don't have a lot of pauses or long pauses or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So. I think that naturally or just automatically in my brain just like gets broken down like that back and forth. But I think it also comes back to what we were talking about before and just having like trying not to be just one specific type of thing. Like you said, like some of it's personal and some of it's, some of it's observational. You can be both and you can be both in the same joke probably even, or, but I'd probably put the observational or the, what I would say topical, like, Something about, yeah, I think I, I did something about Chick-fil-A and then I did something about turtles and <laughs> paper straws and plastic straws. In my yeah. brain, I'm just grouping that as going out to eat. Like these are things that you hear when you go out to eat or, mm. and I think a lot of comics are like Jim Gaffigan will go from, he'll go from one, yep. one subject to the, and it's all like food. And you're like, did he just, was he just at the food court and like, all right, that place. And then writes a joke about yeah. that. Looks at the <laughs> next one there. We got one for that. Uh, <laughs> I did a workshop with uh, a guy I respect, but I'm not going to say who it was because he, I think he gave me bad advice because I do the same thing. I go from observational to personal stuff and, it's amazing how similar my act is to yours without being anything like it because I'm me. But the, he told me that I need to pick a lane and, and I was like, I don't know about that because it's all funny. I've made people laugh with it. No, I'm, <laughs> I decided not to take that advice. I think the personal, the, the benefit of the personal is that, there's less chance of you having parallel thinking with someone yes. else, which, yeah. which honestly that someone, I, I talked to a comic that I was working with and he was like, Oh, this other guy's got a great joke just like that about turtles and mass shootings. And I was like, what? No, I'm like, that I came up with that. And then I'm like thinking, I'm like, you know what? That has nothing to do with my family. It has yeah. Nothing to do with me personally. Anybody could have thought of that anywhere. Yeah. You, I obviously want to be original and don't want to have a lot of stuff that other people have. And especially when you get to those audition situations where, you know, it's five minutes, get it ready for this festival or this, something that could lead to a TV or something. You want to have something that is more more yourself, I think. Mm. More the, the that, that way it's just not – even though I think that 
that joke that I was just the turtle joke. That was really good right now. This is really topical. And I sent that to a festival and I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm not getting it. And then I didn't get in with it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, and then I taught, and then I worked with someone and they told me that like several other people. And I was like, that could have been it too. Maybe I was just throwing in the pile of the turtle jokes. There's just, they're all doing jokes about turtles or something. Yeah. I have never heard anything like that one, but there's a lot of comedy out there. Yeah. Right no, thank you. I, I, I never heard anything. Yeah. Like <laughs> But I think I was working with Byron Bowers at the Funny Bone, and he very good comic. He's in the movie Honey Boy uh-huh. with LaBeouf, and he said he honestly he was telling us about masks too. This was in like February before the lockdown, mm-hmm. and he had this mask, and he was like, "I was just in Japan. He's this is what everybody wears in Japan. Everybody wears this outside." Yeah, he was making jokes about. How if he wore this around town here, he'd be like, I'd get shot for wearing this. You can't wear a mask. In the, but uh, very insightful, very ex- very good comic. And then he told me, he was like, oh, Orny Adams, he's got that turtle uh-huh. mass shooting. I was like, no, that guy's, <laughs> that guy's bigger than me. He's got more. <laughs> he's going to get more play on that. But yeah. But it, it, yeah, it's honestly there, there's a that's a, there's another thing with that too. If you hear somebody doing a similar joke to yours, I think that the state over the state joke. I heard Bill Burr do a similar joke about New York and New Jersey and mm-hmm. how they hate each other. There's this big rivalry, right. but the same people. It's the exact same stuff. Yeah, I was listening and I was like, oh man, that is exactly <laughs> like what I was talking about. But yeah. then I'm thinking, well, I like Bill Burr and I like his take on it, and I'm not. I, obviously mine is unique to myself where I've got the Canadian line at the end because yeah. I'm Canadian. So it's, it's an observation that anybody could make, but I try to make it unique to myself at the same time. Yeah. And yeah, that's another one. You can't take that out. That's one of your best bits hands down. Oh, thanks. Thank you. So as yeah, far so, as you see it and you're like, does that mean I'm done doing this? Yeah. Bit? You're like, <laughs> But I think as a comedian, you really, we worry about that stuff. Obviously, we yeah. don't want to be seen as someone that's that's doing a bunch of stuff that other people are doing or perceived as someone that, that heard someone do that joke and then wrote their own take on it. Mm-hmm. Like, you never know how you're being judged or perceived by the audience or your peers or other, mm-hmm. other people that have already seen and stuff. So those things all come into my consideration, and I like to overthink them as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Like every comic, yeah. Like every comic. (laughs) So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because a lot of comics do an album pretty much so that they can get on Sirius on one or three of the channels like you're on, and that's because that's really the only way you're going to get paid because Spotify is not going to pay you. Pandora is not going to pay you much. It's just nickels and dimes, whereas Sirius, you can actually make a little bit of bank doing that. What's the process to get your comedy on there? Is it like a submission just like for a festival, or what do you do to get on there? It is. It it, it can be connections with people that are serious, Mm. or in my case, I I did my record through On Tour Records, and I know – Ross Duncliffe, who runs on tour, has a good relationship with Sirius XM, and he has a lot of his artists get picked up. Not all of them get picked up, but some of them get picked up. Some of them. So I knew that he had these relationships there and was hopeful that I might get on one channel, let alone three. I was very, when he sent me that message, it yeah. was a very, uh, very happy day for yeah. me. 
I was, I agree with that. And we're also at the point where I, my first thing about an album was just to sell after shows and to have an, have a, have the material that I would feel bad about doing the exact same thing that's on that. So yeah. I'm motivating myself that I have to move on from a lot of this material at the same time too, which might've been my fear of not doing an album sooner because I, I was right at the point where maybe I didn't feel like I had quite enough material to headline or to mm. have to not do, to not use some of my best bits in a set. But so there's that, there's the motivation to move on, write more and create more. And then mostly was to sell albums after the show, which mm. I, now I'm not even, I didn't even, I don't have any, I don't have any hard copies. I haven't even ordered digital download cards because I'm just not working that much. Yeah. And there's not that many shows that, but I really need to, I need to follow up on that. And I even might need to, even though I've gotten it, different advice from different club owners, club managers, people that work around the business, see comedians come in and hear comedians complain about having CDs and having a closet full of these things. And no one ever buys them because everybody wants a digital download card or something. Yeah. But I think people also want to, when you're at a comedy show, it's like why they'll buy a t-shirt or whatever afterwards. They just want to tip you. They want to maybe get a picture with you instead of an autograph on your CD, but maybe they want to get a, an autograph on a hard copy of something, maybe an album, maybe a vinyl, maybe a vinyl thing that would be more of a collector's collector's thing. Mm. But I think that was my main motivation before was to just have an album, have something I'm proud of, have something that I could sell after shows. I used to, I used to sell my buddy Mike Cody's CD after my show. And I'd be like, <laughs> Hey, if you want to, if you want to buy a CD, I got one after the show. It's not me. Yeah. I, I know I, first I'd say nothing you heard tonight's on here because it's not me. Yeah. This is my buddy's album. <laughs> it's just really good. And I think you should check him out. He's from Cincinnati also. Yeah. And, um, that, that did not go over all the time, uh, uh-huh. but, but it, did, it was quite funny and quite fun to do for a little bit. Thank- I like you hit on something really cool that I, I, I would like to see more comics do, and that's the vinyl, because vinyl's huge now. And small runs are, it's it's a, bit, a lot more available than it used to be. Dan Cummins used a friend of mine. He's got a record company down in Indy, uh, Romanus Records. He used him to do his last album and put it out that way. And they sold right. out a couple times. They did a couple different runs and sold out a couple times, but he does really cool stuff with it. He'll put liquid in it. He's got vinyl with remote control lights and stuff like that. He does really neat stuff with it, but that creates a memory. And that's also what a CD does because you're looking at it and even if you never take the wrapping off and you only listen on Spotify, you've got it. And you bought it, and it always reminds you, oh, yeah, Gabe was funny. So that keeps a memory in your mind, and an LP really even does more. The funny part, when you were asking me about favorite albums or specials, I was thinking of a few of buddies of mine that gave me their album, and I really like, like, Brett Erickson's merch is uh-huh. one that comes to mind. But then I also still, I know his album. I've worked with them several times. I know all the jokes in there but it's still wrapped in plastic and I haven't even yeah. like yeah. opened it. So then I was like thinking, I was like, can you honestly say that's your favorite that you that, that it's still, but I also, I just want the physical copy. I just want yep. to, to have that and have a collection of 
of different people. Now I'm thinking of all those. See, I just got to go get them and I'll like flat. Yeah. Here's some of my favorites. Yeah. I do. And I do that with both music and comedy because I've got, I've got vinyl all over here and I don't have a turntable and I'm not going to get one because my hearing is so fucked up that it does. I, I don't hear the nuances anymore. So why bother? But yeah. I, if I see neat vinyl, I'm still going to get it. So just because I want to have it. But yeah, it, it's neat to, and it's different. I'm trying to think of the aesthetic of giving somebody a business card size card for a download versus a physical CD. And every time I've walked away with a physical CD, I feel obligated to follow that comic more i don't know why it's it's just something that's underlying i guess it's not even spoken but yeah it's just it's weird that's that is see i'm also i'm 41 so i'm in the age group of cds weren't even i was around before cds with tapes and stuff so cassette tapes and, and records but so my age group like i want i don't Really, even though I know I can just download it, I don't even need a digital download card. I can just go get it with yeah. your name on my phone and go into iTunes and get it. Yeah. But but there's still something that is is about that physical copy that that is. I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna change my mind on that. I told someone I was like I would pay. I know it costs like a little bit more money, but I would pay probably like a thousand dollars just to have one of my CDs. Yeah. And be like, oh, I got it. I made it. Yep. Thank you, I've got 900 other ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thinking about, as we're wrapping up here, thinking about your entire career, what would you say is the best and worst advice you ever got? Ooh, best and worst advice. I probably won't. The worst advice won't come to me. It'll yeah. come to me like later tonight and I'll be like, oh, that was it. Um, yeah. <laughs> You probably, I probably block that stuff out a lot of times, but, but I've had, a, I, yeah, I've had people just like you said, you had some people say, you, you gotta be dirtier or you gotta say fuck more. So I've had some people give me some advice like that. You gotta do it like this or something. And I just would be like, uh, then a lot of, I think a lot of people tell you where, where to go and what to do. Like you got to move here and then you move there and then you move this. And I don't, I'm not really, I moved to Cincinnati to go against the moving to New York or LA. I was like, I want to move somewhere else, but I just, I don't want to move to the place where every other comic is moving yeah. basically. And I've, I've not gotten on TV. So I've been, <laughs> I don't, I didn't get, I didn't get that late night spot or whatever, but there's some things that will, but it doesn't mean that I'm not doing comedy more or less than someone that's living in, in New York, Chicago, Atlanta, or those bigger market cities and or LA. So I think the moving part and where I should move and what I should have, I'd say that's probably some of the best or worst advice that I've gotten. People tell you like how to, what's best to, for your career. But I think you, you listen to what everybody has to say. Obviously they're saying that for a reason. Yep. Just like I said, when I was like, I didn't give the, I'm not on late night. Yep. That's, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not on there because I didn't move. And I'm like, is that really why? Yeah. What if I, <laughs> if, because I moved there and they're like, oh, yeah, come on right away. Yeah. You know, that's not necessarily how it works. But but I think there is, and I think stand-up's changing with the way the pandemic has affected things. And it was like this before, 
where there's less feature act comedians or opening comedians traveling around the country, whereas every scene has their own openers. So basically a lot of people, they either open for somebody, like there's a headliner that brings them along Mm -hmm. and, or they are, they're just in their local area scene and they're the person that's called when, when needs an open. Some of those people that you named at the beginning, I was like, just person coming through town and they're looking for an opener. Yep. And (laughs) sometimes it's a club manager recommending me. Sometimes it's a radio personality recommending someone from the area that knows that I can follow or that I could come through in that sort of situation doing Mm. doing 15 to open up. But, uh, but I think uh, I got to, one of the, a really good one was I got asked to open for Tracy Morgan here in Cincinnati and it was my sister's wedding. Uh And I was like, on my way to St. Louis to go to my sister's wedding. And I like got this phone call, like Tracy Morgan needs an opener. I recommended you. And I remember just thinking, Oh man, I got a sister and tell her I can't come to a wedding. <laughs> so instead I went to my sister's wedding and I just told everybody that story to make myself feel like, Oh, I, I sacrificed a lot for this. Yeah. <laughs> this is why your gift is small. <laughs> yeah. This is a good this is a good way to name drop and humble brag at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I it's funny, I talk to a lot of comics who have relocated to one of the coasts and their advice is not to relocate to the coast because they're doing all their work in the Midwest or, you know, the north or the south. So they mm-hmm. they're paying for travel. They're paying fifteen hundred bucks for a studio apartment and they've got nothing to show for it and they can't get on stage in LA or New York to save their life. It's one of those, it's one of those things It's a catch 22. You're not going to, you're not going to get the big jobs there, but you're also not going to work anywhere, but Midwest anyway, because that's where most of the pay is right now. Yeah. And that's, that's been building or been the norm in the last few years. I think everything's changing with the pandemic. And honestly, it might be, where some people, like you hear someone, I heard someone was moving to New York and I was like, right now, that's a good idea. Yeah. But then I'm like, maybe right now is, maybe that is, no one else is. So it, it could be, it might be uh, a good time yeah. for that stuff. So Great. So Gabe, where can people find you online if they want to find your stuff? Online, you can, you can go to my website. It should link to all my social media on there. It'll have a link to my album as well. Gabe Kia on Twitter, Facebook. TikTok, Snapchat. You can find me on uh, Instagram is Abe Lincoln T-shirt, but I think Gabe Kia will take you to Abe Lincoln T-shirt as well. That's the only one where I have a weird screen name because uh-huh. I was <laughs> I, I probably made that before I realized I was like I should probably do the same thing on every one. Yeah, That's probably the best way to do it <laughs> for marketing if I have a, a unique name. But yeah, Gabe Kia, Google it. I used to have a business card that was it just said it was just Google and my name. Yeah, it was like simplest thing <laughs> and ended up having my car broken into and someone stole uh, a thousand of those out of my car and i was like i'm not buying another thousand wow, yeah <laughs> and what are they gonna do with them <laughs> oh man that person was so pissed they saw this fedex box that looked like it was worth some money and yeah. they opened it up and they looked at that dumb little business card and were so there's that still brings me joy yeah you know, how they were <laughs> Oh, that's nuts. Thanks so much for being on the show. This was a good chat and I wish you the best of luck because I, I, I just really enjoyed your album and it made me go out and watch all your YouTube videos and stuff. So it was really good. Oh, great. Thanks. I got to, I, 
the album's better than the YouTube videos, everybody. The YouTube videos are like <laughs> the raw versions of those jokes or sometimes different jokes. But, yeah. but no, I really appreciate you having me on. Scott, yeah. And, uh, good to meet you. Good to hang out for a little bit and talk comedy. Love doing it. Thank you. Well, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot.